Welcome to Forever Young Adult, a podcast where I, Isa, and I, Kira, discuss young adult fiction, and this one is from the past. Dun dun dun! Hello listeners, I hope the August of it all is treating you okay. Uh, some debate as to whether it is autumn or summer, but let me tell you, it's hot, and we are recording this in July, so I decided to go for a beachy read which everyone I told I was reading it was like you think that's a beachy read it's like really dark (laughs) (laughs) okay it's not that okay you said that you were reading this author and I was like oh well like yeah those books are kind of written a little bit light but they also have they all of the ones I've ever read by Sarah Dessen have heavy subject matter like I don't I don't know why why you think it's a beach read. I mean, there's no vampires. That's it. For context, the other two books I was considering for this episode were We Have Always Lived in the Castle and In the Time of the Ghost by Diane Wynne-Jones, which is about a ghost of a dead or possibly dying young girl traveling back in time to witness the three teenage sisters where she's like sure she's one of them but she can't remember which one she is and she's trying to figure which one it is and how she dies and whether she can stop it so this is lighter in comparison okay in that case in that case yes this is a light summer read you are wild i that was just what was on my device (laughs) wild so yeah this is sarah dessen whose style is sort of renowned for being yeah like like kira said she starts out kind of light she she often picks a perfect person or a person who seems like their life is all together and then shows the cracks and fractures and how like even though she's like beautiful and popular it's not great she's not having a wonderful time but this one doesn't quite fit that theme kira what's your experience with sarah dessen um i have read a number of sarah dessen books um i think just listening is just listen is the one that stuck with me the most um but i also read i think it's called lock and key it had it made me want to wear a key on my on a neck chain for a really long time because i'm Mm -hmm. easily influenced um but the primary thing i remember about sarah dessen is that her author bio at least in the early 2000s, read that she was a chocolate-eating vegan. And I adore that for... To this day, I'm like, Sarah Dessen is a chocolate-eating vegan. And possibly I should um, update my information. But uh, I really enjoyed that she looked at, at a diet that she wanted to participate in and then said, you know what, though? I can't be without chocolate. And just decided that she would do that. Um, In the early 2000s, it was much harder to get vegan chocolate. Maybe she has changed her mind on that now. But you know what? I just respect someone being like, I'm going to do this thing. But uh, we live in a society of absolutes and acknowledging that they can't fulfill those absolutes and just being nuanced about it. And um, that really stuck with uh, early teen Kira. That's just where we're at. Mm. Well, listen, it's better than what poor Meg Rossoff gets in your head. We cannot talk about Meg Rossoff. It will derail everything. Uh, In that case, check out our Patreon episode for (laughs) Meg Rossoff derailing everything, even in a conversation that's meant to be, in theory, about Meg Rossoff. I am holding my breath to stop myself talking. That is fine. Do you want me to tell you a bit more about Sarah Dessen and then this book? Please. I also read a lot of Sarah Dessen. I read this book, which is, I'm not sure exactly how I I will title this episode because when I read this book, it was called Last Chance. Um, But apparently it's been republished as Keeping the Moon, which I think Mm -hmm. is... I mean, neither title really fits the book, so it's whatever, but um, it's disconcerting. I definitely read this lullaby as a teen. 
I remember reading that on a holiday to Malta with my family, one of our few international holidays, where me and my grandmother, who are both big readers, were like, oh God, we don't have enough books with us. And we had to swap books and read each (laughs) other's books halfway through the holiday. And she was really concerned about my reading matter because I was reading The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. And she wasn't concerned about this lullaby, which was about like a teenage girl uh, getting into drugs and dating a much older man uh, as she like attempts to reckon with the fact that. The reason she wasn't concerned is because the cover looks really nice and friendly, a little bit chick lit romance-ish, and then the content turns on you. She also read it, though, was my point. Because we had to swap (laughs) books. But yeah, she she was not concerned with that. And she was concerned with me reading something about the Holocaust. And I was like, I think one of these books is actually a lot rougher to read than the other. But okay. Um, This is not that book. I also read Truth About Forever, I think. And Just Listen possibly also lock and key there is a bunch of them that were published in the uk and ireland with kind of a matching cover where it was a black background with like a sort of hectic floral print around a cartoonish girl face um and they were in the library and i think i also bought one or two which is high praise for teen Aoife. very good um actually i haven't mentioned the one relevant thing in author talk which is that sarah dessen waitress for a lot of her early life she worked mm-hmm. as a, at a she worked at a place called the flying burrito did they did they serve everything except for burritos i don't know actually i have no way of knowing i myself if i went in and they didn't serve burritos would be like what the fuck but also i'm like oh what if they didn't serve burritos because the burritos had flown away that's a really good joke and everyone would hate it <laughs> like everyone going there would and this hate is why it, I cannot, but it would be good this is why I cannot become a business owner because I would name something ridiculous like that <laughs> but that's relevant <laughs> um, because our char- our main character is a, is a waitress she gets a waitressing job this is a summer read in that it takes place over a summer and it's a nice coming of age summer for the character involved at this juncture, I feel the need to apologize to the listener <laughs> because we've been so scattered. Okay, I'm here. We're here. We're good. It's fine. I'm here. I'm queer. I'm hungover. Get used to it. <laughs> Isa, tell me about the book. Our main character is called Coley, which is interesting because her real name, her full name is Nicole Sparks. Nicholas Sparks was publishing before this book came out. So do you think the protagonist being called Nicole Sparks is a reference? Uh, no. No? Sparks, though. I don't think. I mean, they're fairly common names, but maybe. No, I don't think so. Well, she's called Nicole Sparks anyway, but she goes by Coley. And her sort Mm -hmm. of life so far is that, you know, her mom got pregnant young. She dropped out of college and she didn't want to take any support from her family. We don't have much details there, but it seems like they weren't very supportive of her choice. Uh, So she spent her early life sort of moving from place to place with her mother. Uh, She has a very strong relationship with her mother. She remembers these times actually very fondly. And a very key element of that is that they were both quite fat. They're both very fat people. Um, there are numbers given in the book, but I can't really mentally translate them. And like even looking at the numbers, I was like, okay, but I don't know what that looks like. So they were very <laughs> large. They're very fat people. Coley remembers her mom always like trying to lose weight, but never succeeding. Um, and they were very mm-hmm. poor. Uh, Coley would get bullied in school for being the new kid, for being fat. She never had friends, really, because of the instability of that. She was an easy target, which would, you know, motivate her mother to be like, this town's no good for us. We need to try the next one. 
We're going to move oh, on. Oh no, it's a it's a forever circle. It's a forever circle until one day, a few years before this book starts, Coley's mother accidentally rear-ends someone's car in a car park and she's like, I am so sorry, I don't have any money. Can I work off the cost of the car repairs? And this woman says, okay. And this woman owns a gym called Lady Fitness. Mm-hmm. And my mom has been trying to lose weight her whole life. At Lady Fitness, it actually started to happen. She'd always loved to dance and she got hooked on aerobics, taking classes whenever she could fit them in. She became the heaviest and most popular instructor in the history of Lady Fitness. She played the best music, knew all her students by name, and used our stories from the fat years to emphasize her message that anyone can do anything they set their mind to. Then she gets a spot on a local TV morning as their like fitness person, and then that grows and grows mm-hmm. and grows, and she's like now this big star. She's known nationally. She's Kiki Sparks. Okay, that's a good name. This book, by the way, came out in 1999, so... The perfect time. Um, Is Collie still fat? Collie is losing weight at the same time. Where our character is at is, by the time we've been in Charlotte two years, my mother had lost 160 pounds, with me shedding 45 and a half right beside her. Catherine disappeared, along with the breakfasts of donuts and chocolate milk, our love handles and our double chins, and Kiki Sparks was born. She loved her new, strong body, but for me it was harder. Even though I'd been teased all my life, I'd always taken a small, strange comfort in my folds of fat, the fact that I could grab myself the waist. The weight had been a force field, shielding me as ours plopped into one new school after another. Now, I had nothing left to hide behind. Sometimes in my bed at night, I find myself pinching the skin at my waist, forgetting that there is nothing to hold on to anymore. So you said 160 pounds. That's a large human, right? Like if you were 160 pounds, you would be a large human in itself. Mm -hmm. So she lost the weight of a large human. So she lost the weight of a person. Okay, I'm guessing that because this all happens in like the first chapter, it's not the significant plot of the book. It's not. It's not. This is just context for how our character gets where she is. That's her history. And, you know, she's lost this weight. It's been like the two years that they've moved from, they've moved to this place. And now as well, it's the first time she's been in a place for two years. So she's got the experience of Mm -hmm. people being consistent around her for a while but even so no one's nice to her in fact she's got a bully who like bullied her for being fat and being poor and stuff and now she's thin and rich so she bullies her for being a slut and like when oh, yeah everyone yeah. who's thin and rich is a slut total sense when Coley's mother got more wealthy and they got a nice house uh, it was neighbors with this girl. I think her name's Caroline, but she's not hugely relevant. And, you know, this girl is just like, oh, now I hate you twice. Now I hate you a million times because you're the stupid, ugly, poor, fat girl I was able to just be horrible to. And now you're someone who's pretending to have social standing in my culture. No, this is my street. Um, so she's just horrible to her. She just leads the charge against Coley all the time. So, you know, Coley's lost a lot of weight and she's gotten really goth, which I love. Um, she had a really horrible incident where she was just like talking to this guy at like a community event, like a barbecue or something. And they Mm -hmm. kind of wandered off together and chatted, uh, while walking together And they came across this girl with her friends and they're like, oh my God, this guy doesn't know this girl's a slut. I always knew she was a slut. Of course, she's wandering with this boy. And like, they'd just been having actually quite kind of a nice conversation about how he was new in the area and it was hard. And he like, he missed his old friends and how it's difficult for him because his sister has a disability Um, and he always feels a little bit out of place and she was like oh my god yeah I move all the time too Um, but you know as soon as he saw Coley's getting made fun of his social position's insecure he goes back to the flock 
Coley's left out alone and the slut rumors intensify and she's like I am chopping up my hair and dyeing it black and I am getting a lip piercing I have inner pain that I must show via outer pain yeah so um, and not every goth and emo has inner pain that they're showing via outer pain but oh boy it is a it is a lot of them yeah it is a lot of us <laughs> Yep. <laughs> um, do not let my yellow shirt and uh, gold dangly earrings fool you. I too am gone. <laughs> and we meet, we meet Coley at the start of the book, at the start of a summer, where her mother's career is starting to mm-hmm. launch internationally. She's going on a European tour where she's going to be in football stadiums, like getting Italian and English women to do high kicks. And Amazing. so Coley has to find, has to say summer for the summer. So despite the fact that they've been largely estranged from their extended family, uh, Kiki gets in contact with her sister, Mira, who inherited all their parents' money and is an artist listen, living on a little beachy island near, I think off South Carolina. So in the American South. And is like, can my daughter stay with you for a summer? And she goes to stay with her mother's sister, who is the best character in the world. (laughs) Uh, She went to art school and her living is made writing uh, condolence cards specifically really specific condolence cards she has ones about like dead mailmen dead pets uh Mm -hmm. one of my favorite i'll see if i can get the quote from because i definitely highlighted it it's got like a beautiful like sorry for your loss at the front and then it says there comes a time when we all must accept the loss of someone who may not have been truly real but was very real in our hearts i know that this loss affects you in a way that some might not understand but as your friend, I do, and I'm so sorry. Dead soap opera character, Myra said. You know what? That was, that, that was like, I don't know. I feel like that was advanced for 99 to have a character be like, you know what? You, you felt that. Mostly because like, and it's, it's just a thing where it's difficult to, to, uh, um, to sympathize with people who in the past but I definitely know some people now who are very invested in fandoms and definitely like need that card yes absolutely I know people who needed that card when One Direction broke up (sighs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm going to explain you a bit more about Myra she is of course quite fat she is a fat lady. This is a family with okay. fat jeans. And a description of her cycling around the town is she was wearing her yellow overalls rolled up at the cuff and a worn pair of purple high tops. Her hair was flowing out behind her, long and red and wild, like some kind of living cape. You said that their family was a little bit estranged. And I'm just wondering, like, how does Mira feel about all the weight loss and stuff? Is she like, it's cool. Like, because Kali has a complicated relationship with yeah. us. Yeah. So is she like complicated about the fact that her aunt is, is, is fat? When I'm talking about the characters, I'm going to be talking a lot about how they look because how they look is very important to okay. Kali. Um, I would say okay. with Myra, it's so she doesn't mind being fat herself. And with mm-hmm. with Coley's mom, when she lost weight, it was like she'd found religion. And she was like a mega preacher who was super eager to share her good news and tell everyone that you too can do this. I promise you can do it. I believe in you. You can achieve this thing. And so her sister's like, thanks. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. <laughs> um so the spare room that Coley's sleeping in has like a cupboard that's just full of all of the Kiki brand merchandise, including like the Kiki meals, the Kiki exercise equipment and uh, 
exercise clothing and all of the merch and all of the instructional videos, Mira doesn't want to lose weight. She's not invested in it. But there's some moments when, like, uh, I think at some point Coley finds her, like, sleeping. Um, she's like falling asleep downstairs and she's listening to something on a Walkman because it's 1999 and as she like takes the Walkman off and like wraps up the wire she hears her mother's voice and it's one of the motivational tapes and another Mm -hmm. time Mira's like watching one of the ads on TV with Coley's mom and it's like it's just about her enthusiasm you know it's just that she really believes everyone can do what they want or what they will and you know that's something I've always admired about her so the sisters we don't ever see them interact but you can kind of feel that like there's love there they weren't that close when the parents didn't approve of Kiki getting pregnant Kiki just cut off the whole family so Mira was cut off too Mm -hmm. the parents have since died they're trying to reconnect but it's difficult um and the other thing I love about Mira is that she is extremely ADHD for this morning where (laughs) this episode might come together great but I've been having real executive dysfunctional challenges so here's a quote about Mira's house um she was constantly beginning projects Among other things, the living room contained a cane chair with a broken seat, halfway restrung, a china pig with three legs sitting next to a tube of superglue, a toy bus with two missing wheels and a dented front fender, as if it had been in some kind of very small, violent accident. (laughs) Everything was Mm -hmm. old, with a kind of tacky charm and in need of some sort of repair, a rocking chair missing a few back slats, a small chest of drawers with faded pink paint and no knobs, a cracked fish tank full of seashells and marble. And then, as I looked closely, I saw the notes. Just like the one on the front, they were index cards, written in nice block printing, window sticks on left side, it said at the back door, center light switch does not work, was posted by a switch plate on the other side of the room, and taped to the TV set, right above the channel knob, jiggle to get 11. Oh my god. Um, oh. What do you think about that? I love it. Later on, Coley and Mira have a talk about, like, why doesn't anything in your house work? And Mira says, I don't know, she said, as if it had never occurred to her. I mean, perfect is a lot to expect from something, right? We all have our faults. It's not about us, I said gently. It's a toaster. It doesn't matter, she sat back in her chair. If something doesn't work exactly right, or maybe needs some special treatment, you don't throw it away. Everything can't be fully operational all the time. Sometimes we need to have patience, to give something a little nudge it needs. To jiggle for 11, I said. Exactly, she said. I adore this, and it's just reminding me of my first laptop, which... Oh boy, needed to be replaced at least two years before I replaced it. Mira is neurodivergent. Her house is chaos. She's really creative. She's in the middle of a bunch of projects. She's deeply emotionally attached to things because they are things and they deserve respect. And she's like, I'm sorry, this lady is ADHD or autism. I love her. I also am interested in how her philosophy sort of works with her sister's philosophy of everybody can be the greatest they want to Mm be. Whereas Mira's is like, we are how we are and we deserve love and care and attention regardless. That is good. I am really glad that this child is staying in this house for a summer Mm. because I feel like that is something that she possibly needs. And I'm going to tell you now about the other three people she meets who she also, I think, needed to meet. Uh, The other three people in the Mm -hmm. story are Norman, Isabel and Morgan. Uh, Norman lives in Mira's basement. Uh, It's like it's like a sort of a separate flat under the house. He's Norman Mm -hmm. Norman or Norman because there's also Cat Norman, who's named after Norman because they're very alike. Mira took Norman in because he was 
17 and living out of his car at the back of the restaurant he worked at, which was called Last Chance. Norman's the youngest of three kids and his older, his dad, who he's named after, is like a big car dealership guy in town. He was also like an important college football guy when he was young. Both his older brothers did the like college football guy getting a business degree to become a car salesman like their dad thing. And Norman wanted to be an artist, so he put together a portfolio and he told his dad he was applying for art school and the dad kicked him out. So he he took a bunch of his stuff and he left and eventually Miro was like, you can live with me, you don't need to pay rent, you've got a year left of school, stay in school, put together your portfolio and go to art school. And he's he's got his scholarships now, he's starting at the end of the summer. And his art is, some of it's sculpture and found objects and some of it's paintings. Um, He does a series of paintings where people are wearing sunglasses. The first thing Coley thinks when she sees him is like, oh, he is a hippie. He looks really annoying. (laughs) This guy's hair is almost long enough to be hippie annoying, but not quite. Which is just like, oh, hon, you've internalized some society shit. And I get it because you're 15. <laughs> but you're literally a goth in a trench coat with home cut hair that is patchily dyed and a lip piercing. So you can't be... <laughs> can't be judging other people's appearances. <laughs> yeah, for being unconventional, it's not that he's attempting a mainstream look and doing it badly he's just doing a different thing yeah so that makes sense that's norman he fits really well with myra they're both really sweet-hearted people so like both of them get gossiped about in the town a lot because they're strange and artistic Mm -hmm. and norman because he's like failed to follow the family business And Myra, because she's this woman who's really fat and just moved in and lives in her house eating cereal and food from the diner and writing death cards. And they have a really nice relationship. That's good. And I don't actually have super much more to say about Norman um, Mm -hmm. because he's good and he's, he's the love interest, which I do have some you know, quibbles about because as you might have noted, he got kicked out of his home last year when he was 17. So he's now 18 and our protagonist is 15. So he's just the only boy there. It's not great. And also like they're living together. It's yeah, it's not amazing. It is what it is. Um, So the other two important characters are Isabel and Morgan. And they're really the ones who start teaching Colby sort of almost how to be a cool girl. Because I keep saying, I keep calling her Colby because the island's called Colby, but the character's called Coley. So it's very confusing. Um, So Isabel and Morgan are the waitresses at Last Chance Diner, which is where Norman works and... You know, Coley meets them on like the first day when Myra sends her down to like get herself, like get me a Caesar salad and whatever you want. These things are good. So she wanders in and Isabel, who's this like traditionally gorgeous, curvy, blonde girl, is immediately like, what's that thing in your lip? It looks so gross. And Coley like, oh no, has a trauma flashback to all of the bullying she suffered and just kind of like locks up and takes her food silently and walks out and then she doesn't eat her dinner which was a burger and chips because Isabel being a beautiful girl saying a mean thing about her has reminded her that like if I slip up I will be fat again and that's bad Uh, so she goes to bed without dinner and then she Myra knocks on her bedroom door to wake her up at like midnight and is like you've got visitors (laughs) coley's like i lived in charlotte for like 
two or three years and never once had visitors. And I've been here for one night. Who the fuck is calling for me in the middle of the night? And she goes downstairs and it's... Is it Isabella Norman to apologize? It's Isabella and Morgan. Morgan, who's the other waitress, who is, again, I have to describe what she looks like because this is how Coley understands everyone. Morgan's not pretty. She's tall and bony and kind of horse-faced. At one point, she's described as when she's surprised, she looks a bit like a dodo bird. And she's just, you know, she's not a very pretty girl. But she's, like, standing in the shadows behind Isabel while Isabel's like, I'm sorry for what I said. I tend to be very critical of what I don't. Here she paused, looking at Morgan. Understand, Morgan prompted. Understand, Isabel repeated. What I said was rude and hurtful and uncalled for. I understand if you never respected me again. But, Morgan said, prodding her. But, Isabel grumbled, I hope that you can forgive me. Morgan smiled, nodding at her. Thank you. Then she looked at me. It's okay, I said, taking a hint. Don't worry about it. Thanks, Isabel said. She was already inching off the porch towards the steps. Okay. Are Morgan and pretty blonde girl. Isabel. Are Morgan and Isabel like childhood friends? They seem to have like a good relationship and know each other really well. So, yeah. Morgan and Isabel are best friends since school. Mm -hmm. Uh, Isabel grew up and got hot and got quite mean. And she, you know, doesn't let anyone get close to her romantically because, I mean, she remembers those years of being ridiculed. And she's also just kind of like, okay, so now you're being nice to me. It's just because I'm hot. Okay, (laughs) Um, that's fair. And... Morgan is much softer and kinder and she looks kind of like a dodo and she keeps waiting around on the first guy who ever called her beautiful who was this um, baseball player who was passing through town and they had like a little fling Mm -hmm. but they um, well he he gave her he gave her a ring and proposed to her but also doesn't return her calls and only visits sporadically and it's very red flag zone over there not great uh so now um now morgan and isabel live in a little white house uh with an immense cd collection Mm -hmm. they work together in the diner all day uh most evenings they split a six pack of beer on the porch and they take turns choosing the music And they truly just have a beautiful, idyllic relationship that I cannot believe is not gay. Yeah, it sounds very gay. But... Yeah. Um, The emotional climax of the book for these two people is Morgan... Not to spoil, but the emotional climax is like... Isabel just looked at her, then slid her hand out of Frank's. The music started again. It was a wild finish, the build-up to the end. Norman grabbed me and twirled me around, just as Isabel put her hand in Morgan's, leaned her head back to laugh, and closed her eyes. Yeah, they... Oh, if this book was written, like, ten years later, they would be gay. Because so they directly parallel the central romantic relationship with Morgan and Isabel's relationship. And it's literally about Isabel letting go of the hand of the guy whose hand she was holding to go hold her girlfriend's hand. And the guy is like, what's this? And Coley's just like, oh, it's just a girl thing. Don't worry. Yeah. If this book was written 10 years later, that would would have been an LGBT romance. It would have been a queer romance. That's just how it is. Yeah. Um, Sometimes the timing just isn't right. Sometimes it just isn't. They're gonna. It's it's so insane to me though. I did feel like I was being gaslit. <laughs> I did text my lesbian group chat about it, and they were like, "This is insane." There's literally like this emotional climax happens where they're on like a. You're now at a double date with your friends from work, and one of them's like, "Oh, I can't believe I've let go of that shithead I was mooning over. Oh, I'm gonna have to start dating again." And I'm like, "You're on a date with your common law wife <laughs> right now." Oh. Oh. 
So these two, these two take Coley under their wing in like two different ways. Um, Morgan's the one to really teach her about like being a waitress and Coley finds it really freeing to do the waitress work because she's like, I've been terrified my whole life of people looking at me um, and noticing me and laughing at me. But they actually don't notice me like they're looking at me and I have to talk to them, which is a great lesson in confidence. But like half the time at the end of their meal, they like flag down Isabel because they think she's the one who has their check. Yeah. Yeah. People um, yep. don't pay enough attention so. to wait stuff. Um, and it is if you have social anxiety, um, it is not a bad it's not a bad job to do for a little while or forever and just uh, just see that you um, you're not as important to the people around you. <laughs> um, a lot of my social anxiety yeah. was cured not by waitressing, but by realizing that like I didn't know I was like, oh my God, all of these things about me are wrong and I'm noticing them all the time and then realizing that like I wasn't noticing those things about other people and therefore I was like oh other people are probably too self-centered to notice these things too um which I'm not sure what it says about me Mm -hmm. but that cured a lot of my social anxiety (laughs) one specific experience you've told me about of yours was like someone in school came in and was like oh I was so embarrassed about how my hair looked yesterday or something yeah. similar, and you were like, I don't remember what, what your yeah. hair looked like yeah. yesterday. Uh, no one is more obsessed yeah. with you than you are. That's just the truth. Which is also... Which is also... It's a thing I think people should own. Yeah. Like, I am the center of my universe. Like, God, I love my friends. I love my partner. I love my projects in my life. But me? I love me. Yeah. Uh, no one is obsessed with you as you are. It doesn't matter. Uh like how much your partner loves you or anything, they are still obsessed with themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. It's true. And uh, coming to terms with that really does, uh, it really eased my social anxiety. And I think that working in a role in which you're like, oh, I have to do X, Y tasks. And actually the people that I am interacting with in order to do them don't actually notice me is freeing. Mm -hmm. I find it, I think it's freeing. Yeah, I I agree with um, with Kali on this one. Yeah, and she also has like a really good support system mm-hmm. in her like coworkers. She'll come away from a table and they'll have like someone was like, oh, and what's the difference between like the supreme nachos and the normal nachos? And Kali's like, oh, I'll just check the menu. I'm new here, and the lady's like, oh, duh, rude, because you know Kali didn't know the thing right away. And, you know, Coley comes away from that a little bit upset. And Morgan's like, what happened? And Coley explains and is like, oh, but it doesn't matter. And Morgan's like, it does matter. You're smart. You're not stupid. You're a person deserving respect. Sometimes customers will try make you doubt that, but you can't ever doubt that. And the other thing is, no matter how bad they try make you feel, they'll be gone in 30 minutes. Yeah. And you'll be free again. And these are all really good social skills she's picking up. I love so. when summer jobs are um, are good for your social development. Really, like, narratively fulfilling, huh? <laughs> yeah. For all this stage, Isabel's a lot more standoffish. She's like, Morgan's babying the new girl. I don't have time for that shit. Sink or swim. Um, and at this point, like... Coley doesn't know anything about Isabel, so she's like, "Uh, hot girls are all mean. Um, they don't have time for anyone. Of course, she doesn't like me. Of course, she's mean to me. You know, she apologized to her that first day, but like, it's like whatever." And then Caroline, who is Coley's main bully, turns up at work. Of course, she does. Sees. Coley and just like starts laughing at her um and then you know her friends she's with her like what's up and then she's like oh my god this is this girl from home she is such a slut and starts saying all these nasty things about her which Isabel can hear 
mm-hmm. but doesn't react to. And Coley thinks Norman can also hear, and that fucks up their romance because she's like, well, now I don't trust that Norman likes me or likes the idea that I'm easy. So that's a thing. But Isabel really changes towards Coley at that point. She like kind of grabs Coley by the arm as soon as the girls are gone and is like, you're coming home with me at the end of this shift. They go back to Isabel's little beautiful house, which she shares with Morgan, who she's not dating. <laughs> Coley's waiting to get attacked. But what, what Isabel says is, look, Coley, I have something to say to you and I'm just going to shoot it straight, okay? I really think you should pluck your eyebrows. Oh. Hot girl love is just different. It's just different. And it's okay. Yeah. As long as the person receiving it is 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 happy. Like wild. Wild. I love it. She's like, okay, and it also wouldn't hurt to do anything about the hair. If you want to go black, we can go black, but it's really uneven, so we just we can't really dye over it. So I am gonna have to bleach some of it out and we can redo it again. And Coley, who just hasn't considered that this isn't that Isabel has put work into her appearance is kind of shocked because I think before this point Coley just thought some people just happen to be hot some people were born with makeup on their face because Coley's kind of like how would Isabel know how to dye hair and then like Isabel opens the cupboard and there's a bunch of different hair dyes including blonde and she's like Isabel mightn't be a natural blonde (sighs) Oh my goodness. It's so silly. I love this. We could probably have a good discussion about Isabel's life philosophy, which comes out through this makeover thing. Yeah. Is, I mean, first, Coley's like, you're plucking my eyebrows and it hurts. And Isabel's like, of course it hurts. Life sucks. Get over it. A positive, a positive outlook. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, after she's got her eyebrows plucked when they're getting ready to dye their hair, Coley says, why are you being so nice to me? She sat back, pulling da- putting down the tweezers. You know, when you say stuff like that, I just want to slap you. What? You heard me. She picks up her beer and takes a swallow, still watching me. Then she said, Coley, you should never be surprised when people treat you with respect. You should expect it. I shook my head. You don't know, I began, but as usual, she didn't let me finish. I was... Yes, sorry. Yes, she said simply. I do know. I've watched you, Coley. You walk around like a dog waiting to be kicked, and when someone does, you pout and you cry like you didn't even deserve it. No one deserves to be kicked, I said. You do if you don't think you're worth any better. As soon as you saw that girl today, you crumpled. You just opened the door and let her stomp right in. I don't care who she is. Self-respect, Coley. If you don't have it, the world will walk all over you. You know what? This makes sense to me. Like, I don't necessarily Mm. agree that if you look like you deserve to be kicked, you will get, you should get kicked. But I understand. You will, though. You will, though. Because people, people are obsessed with themselves. And in that way... Like, they, people also want to, our society has a structure in which you have to be better than other people in some respects, and there is hierarchies in social groups, and it's awful, Um, but sometimes, particularly with teenagers, that means that if someone doesn't believe in themselves and isn't confident, they do become the easy target for the group to confident themselves above yeah so yeah if you are of an attitude that you deserve to be treated with respect people will see that and they will treat you with respect um and like it's particularly true and unsubtle in teenagers but it comes out like Mm -hmm. in the workforce and in like pay negotiations and all sorts of different ways as you go for like as you move through life, it just becomes more subtle. It just becomes more subtle. Yeah. That's it. You've really said 
my perspective on it as well. Like, I'm firmly of the opinion that no one deserves to be kicked. No one deserves to be kicked. But some people are more likely to get kicked than others. Mm -hmm. And in, yeah, like you're saying, it is because of our hierarchical system where people are jostling for position at the top. And people who get shit from people with more power than them want to turn around and give shit to the people below them or they perceive to be below them. So if they're looking around and you're already curled into a tight little ball defending your belly in case someone kicks you, they're going like, all right, perfect. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's not a great system. So, And I would really like mm-hmm. if we as a society didn't do it. But just because, like, you and I don't do it or try very consciously not to doesn't mean that the rest of the world is going to. That's it. Yeah. Honestly, I respect the people that do it less, but I am also, like, I am very unlikely to get kicked because I'm not putting up those signals um, in this, in, like, in that social regard. Same. That's it. And... Also, because I'm so obsessed with myself, I fully believe that if someone is mean to me, then it's their problem and not mine. Whereas if I wasn't, if someone was mean to me, it would hurt me a lot more. So mm-hmm. there's a whole load of different things uh, going on there. Um, I just love these like early 20s girls being like, we are going to give our life philosophy to this 15 year old and have her witnesses yeah and it's good I enjoy I enjoy this book Aoife it's a really good book I read it in two days both you and Jamie were like oh Sarah Dessen that's kind of dark even Jamie was like that book that's kind of rough but it's it's sort of not we get a combination I think dark is like the wrong description I think nuanced and complicated is a better one. Yeah. Sarah Dessen's book are nuanced. And like, just listen, mm-hmm. which is the book that stuck with me that I read by her when I was an early teen, is about a girl who gets sexually assaulted and has gone like semi mute as a result. Also, there's a whole metaphor about the fact that her dad is an engineer and he built them this a wall completely made out of glass and it gives the impression to everyone that they can see the entirety of their lives, but actually they are actually very private and hidden and it's an extended metaphor throughout the entire book. And on impressions, again, which is something that like I think really does transcend through Sarah Jessen's books like she is obsessed with first impressions and how people appear and how we read them as a result the the main character in the book is like oh that guy is listening to his iPod all the time and based on how he looks he's definitely listening to grunge or heavy metal and stuff he's listening to classical music he he has anger issues and he finds it calming it's just a great book it's really good and I think you've hit the nail on the head saying that Sarah Dessen's books are about appearances Mm -hmm. because she's not talking about how you are in your friendships and your one-to-one close relationships she's talking about the face you present to the world Coley sort of sees Isabel and Morgan who are like both both were strange kids and one chose to sort of internalize that you can just become a hot girl it's accessible basically you can do it and the other one never started to believe that and then you've got the other older examples of Myra and Kiki as like you know Mira's like you know I always knew who and what I am some people don't like me but I don't work perfect, but I'm, you know, still a functional toaster or whatever. Um, you know, I wear my, I know people say shit about me. I'm an artist in a small town and that's who I am and I'm happy to be it. Um, and it's not that like Kiki's being false about who she is, but, you know, at one point, uh, Coley rings her and she's like, how did you do it? How did you how are you so confident and powerful? 
And she's like, I faked it. Like, I just loved dancing and loved exercise and loved losing weight. And then other people were like, you're doing a really great job. How can I do a great job for you? And I realized I have to be strong for these people and I have to be capable for these people. So I faked it until I wasn't faking it anymore. Fake it till you make it, baby. And yeah, the, these, are, these aren't strategies for how to have friends or partners, but these are strategies of how to survive in a society where, unfortunately, someone gets kicked. Yeah. So it doesn't fix society, but it can help your lot be a bit better. And this is just a book about one 15-year-old having one summer where she sort of starts to believe that she is a person worthy of respect and who is capable sometimes. I love that. Mm-hmm. We're going to be back in two weeks when I'm going to be reading... Uh, Sorcerer by Celia Rees, which is a sequel. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be fun. It's a sequel to a book that she wrote in the early 2000s called Witch Child, which I loved and adored. Mm -hmm. And I, my, I haven't read it yet. My understanding is that it is kind of a standalone sequel to which reading the predecessor is beneficial. So I'm really excited to share it all with you. It is about magic and witches and colonialization of America. And we will also have a Patreon pod out this month where I will be reading uh, LMNOP by Mark Dunn. It is 90% nonsense and 10% a metaphor for authoritarianism. So that's a good fun read. You can listen to us talking about that and talking about our other Patreon exclusives by supporting us on Patreon for four fifty or more. And in doing that, you'll be joining our three existing patrons. Thank you for supporting us. Jamie, Sam and Kethan, the currently the only ones who can access our very <laughs> special moose pod. If people can't afford four fifty a month, you can also follow us on Twitter at ForeverYAPod and on Instagram at ForeverYAPodcast. You can also email us your thoughts and feelings at yeah. ForeverYAPodcast with a four for the forever and just have a chat with us. It's good fun. Leave us a review if you are, if you are listening on a platform that facilitates reviews. And if you know anyone who you think might be interested in this podcast, anyone who was a Dessen fan back in the day or presently, let them know about us. I mean, word of mouth is the best way these things spread. You guys take care of yourselves for two weeks. Bye. Forever young adult. I look back Outro music has happened and you're still here. I think you want to follow us on Twitter. Yeah, you can find us there at ForeverYAPod. And on Instagram at ForeverYAPod. You can also email us at ForeverYAPod. And if you really, really like what you're hearing, you can contribute to our Patreon, which you can find at ForeverYAPod. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe. Also, if you are listening on iTunes, please leave us a review. We love you. Talk to you in two weeks. Bye.